Hello, hello. Welcome back to another episode of Decentral Lounge, which is the podcast sponsored and brought to you by Global Stake. Today, we're very excited to have on Brian Corshane, who is the founder of DAIM, which is Digital Asset Investment Management Firm. Um, very excited as the firm offers services in crypto wealth management and Bitcoin 401ks. Uh, he's also recently been nominated as the Orange County Innovator of the Year Award. Uh, Brian, we're excited to have you on. Really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, I'm really excited to be here. Talk a little bit about this stuff. Thanks for having me, Ryan. So to just kick us off, we'd love to start with the first segment of being, uh, can you just share with us your journey and any pivotal moments that you had, which led you to the world of cryptocurrency? Yeah, it was uh, quite unique. Um, so in uh, 2010, I was a clerk on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange working in the back of a booth, writing paper tickets while guys traded wow. options. So I was on the, the, the options pit side and, and specializing in volatility. Um, and then from there, I became a broker in the pit and, and had that really fun experience of uh, trading like Citigroup Vol and things like that. And then from there, I went on to work at some other banks as equity derivatives sales. And I ended up getting the Series 4, 24. I had like all these security licenses and um, started to build my own personal portfolio. I had some real estate in Florida. I had my equities um, you know, dabbled in, in derivatives as well in the PA. But I really wanted something um, to differentiate the portfolio. I wanted some inverse correlation. I was just hunting and looking for products. And so in 2013, I came across a Wired article um, about Bitcoin. And so I read that and I, and I followed it along and I started watching the price and 400 bucks and down to 250, come up to 300. And then in 2014, um, the U.S. government was running an auction for some of the Bitcoin that had ceased. And uh, Barry Silbert and Tim Draper were actually in, the, in heavy bidding to, to win this auction. And in my mind, I said, you know what? Our government's not going to sell something that it deems illegal. You know, this is where I'm going to step in. This is the point right now. And for me, the motive was, look, I just want something with a fixed supply that's not going to inflate and I, and I want to diversify my portfolio. And I really wanted to have control. And that was really what got me down the rabbit hole in the first allocation. That was October 2014. So uh, a lot's happened since then. Uh, Tim Draper didn't become as big as Barry Silbert. Barry Silbert got the lion's share and ended up developing a very large firm. Um, and then we had DCG and then Genesis. We actually used to trade with um, OTC against Genesis quite a bit uh, when I first built this firm in 2018. So what ended up happening, one of the bigger pivotal things was, so I got invested and um, people were just like, you know, what is this? I don't know what's going on. You're the only guy on the trading floor that has a position. Help me. People, you know, say, hey, I got it on a USB or I want to buy some. And so, you know, I was the go-to guy, the expert. And then in early 2017, this is before the run-up, um, I was like, okay, I want, I want to go back to owning my own business. I want to start a firm and I want to help people in this space from a license standpoint because everything out, out there is, is self-directed, right? You look at Coinbase, Kraken, Gemini, all the platforms, there was no one licensed as an expert that could be a fiduciary to help people invest in the space. Most people are doing you know, four or five grand on their phone, you know, as an average deposit or an average account size on these platforms, people that were coming to me also wanted to do a lot more size. And so in 2017, I left New York, um, looked around at where I wanted to build this business and uh, California is super sunny here in Newport Beach. Uh, and I was like, you know what? I love this place. The beach is right here. I'm going to dive in right here in this spot. And what's really unique is this area it, it has a bit of finance. Um, it, it's, it's good. It's, it's direct. It's, it's businesses going on. 
um, a lot less distracting than something like L.A. And uh, so we pivoted here and I got with the legal team and we started building uh, this business and filed it. That was pretty hard to do. I can go into that story on a whole nother podcast that would take half a day, but basically um, kind of became the first of its kind RIA, Registered Investment Advisor, specifically for digital assets. And we got that on May 31st, 2018. So yeah, over five years ago. Wow. Hopefully I didn't put anybody to sleep. No, that was fantastic. (laughs) Out of curiosity then, so what challenges have you faced transitioning from the traditional markets to cryptocurrency markets. And I know in some aspects you still work with the traditional markets in general, but yeah, um, anything you can expand upon there? Yeah. So uh, at first it was explaining to regulators like the custody and the lack of there not being a broker dealer in between. So we go direct to market, right? We just go right in and, and trade. There's not really a broker dealer needed in the space. And so took me to understand that first too, and then to create the fame, the framework with regulators on how this business is going to operate and deal that way in that aspect. The other side is that, um, you know, traditionally um, big cap, mid mid and big cap equities have a lot lower volatility than Bitcoin. So it was managing clients, emotions and expectations with that heightened level of volatility. And so most people don't think of this when they hear volatility, it generally rings like a negative bell in their head, but it's also movement to the upside. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a vicious move to the upside, which Bitcoin has. And so um, that's been something that I've had to craft the language to communicate to clients. And that will, that will continue on for a long period of time. Awesome. So then to continue on with DAIM, so you founded it in 2018, um, one of the first RIAs. Quick question I have for you would be, how is it working with crypto native custodians um, as an RIA? So during my time at Coinbase, I know that many RIAs were having issues trying to figure out how to work with custodians. How have you navigated that since 2018 up through today? So other RIAs, the registered investment advisors really goes along with your traditional stockbroker or your traditional wealth manager. So this person you go to, you know, he's got, you know, a largest percentage of your wealth. He's investing in stocks and bonds on that side. Um, a majority of these guys don't have the personal experience investing in cryptocurrencies or digital assets and let alone um, the, the experiences to then take that to their firm, work with compliance and then figure out how to handle these accounts. And so what ended up needing to be is since we are, we were specifically focused this way, um, we run everything separately managed. So everything is SMA. We don't pool anything. Uh, We run a managed model portfolio on top of that. So everybody's accounts are separated. The digital assets in their accounts are separated. And so that's really the, the difference is we figured out how to run this SMA model. And then a few years back, we got together with Gemini and they helped work with us to build out our platform inside. And so inside of that, the ease of use is really, hey, advisor, you know, instead of playing catch up and learning how to do this or building some API tie-ins to Coinbase, here's DAIM. They know how to do this. We'll sub this work out to them or we'll TPAM this work out. So we work with a lot of advisors, not only for their accounts, but their clients' accounts. And then um, this stuff just gets reported in. They have auditor access. So I'd really say like that, that, that kind of challenge was there. And I think you might recall, you know, there was companies like OnRamp, Bitria that were out there trying to be like this third party plugin on top um, that would bridge RIAs into a trading platform or custodian where we're direct, we're direct inside. 
in the way it goes. And I think like there's an advantage to that, not only from um, like a fee standpoint, right? Like that's just one less middleman in the, in the deck, but also from the standpoint, it's like also some, from a security standpoint, right? Like we don't have the, the, the API risk too of like branching out and funneling. So um, that, that was a key drive. And I think like going forward, the, that's what will help when the ETF gets launched, these advisors won't have to figure out what we did. And so that will allow, that's one large aspect of mass adoption coming is these advisors will just be able to click versus now, you know, we, there is onboarding, there's a little bit of a process, but there's also value there, right? Like our managed portfolios outperform Bitcoin alone. And so it depends what you want to do. So our managed portfolio total return five years as of yesterday is like 575% versus Bitcoin alone, just around 400 over the same time. And wow. so- yeah, we, we do some strategic allocations uh, away from Bitcoin, always benchmarking to Bitcoin. We're really long only, no derivatives. And uh, we just take a long thesis and try to let the assets, you know, do the compounding for us. It's clear, Brian, that you've, you've already differentiated DAIM from the rest of the offerings out there. Like how, how have you tweaked things for individual clients as they come along? Do they require separate strategies? I mean, clearly you're crushing it based on the numbers that you, you've already done. But, you know, with the Bitcoin ETF coming, we know that things like this are going to be included in 401ks and retirement mm -hmm. funds. I mean, do you already see individual clients looking for specifications and how they want their portfolio managed? Yep. So... When, when we started the business, we did um, have some self-directed. So, so clients wanted the access that we could get, which is creating a qualified account, which is a retirement account with tax advantages, making sure it reported correctly to the IRS, which we're really good at. And then also having like double oversight. So not only for the custodian like Gemini, but also a licensed advisor. So that was really appealing to people, but then they were their own experts and they wanted you know, trading abilities in their account. Um, and so we, we no longer actually offer that anymore. We find that, um, you know, if people want to do that, they can go elsewhere. The value really comes in two parts for our firm is still we're able to do qualified accounts should they want, but we do have a lot of regular taxable accounts, but our managed portfolio, it's our one thesis. It's our best thoughts. It's where my money is, where my guy's money is. It gets our attention. We have big monthly investment management meetings. We have regular weekly conversations about it. You know, I've got great re like taps into the industry to get resources pulled and, and help us manage this stuff. And it's worked. And so if you're going to pay our flat fee, um, you know, we don't have a performance fee like a fund, which is really nice. You're not going to pay that additional 20% um, on, on a fund as well. Um, it's just a flat fee, but you're getting portfolio management with experience and a track record for just the flat fee. And so we, we just want to stick to that and, and help people from that aspect. Like, look, like, we're in this day-to-day -day doing this. It's kind of like your stock advisor, right? Like you're not really in there telling him what to buy or sell. He's managing this for you. We're taking the same approach. Big fan of stock advisors. I mean, I used to use it a lot. So, I mean, that, that analogy works perfectly for me. So really helpful. Cool. Out of curiosity, and if this is too much alpha, feel free to, to disregard. But when Let's it comes to your funds and your strategies, you mentioned producing a higher yield the last five years than Bitcoin. I'm, I'm kind of curious, are you guys looking at just maybe like roughly the top 50 coins is what you're kind of allocating into? Or are you far more aggressive and you're finding the newest up and coming L2 or L1 chain that's currently ranked like five or six hundredth? Like, what's yeah, that great question. So we run a screener, a screener and it gets constantly updated and it will grab everything like so from coin market cap until it like, 
you know, just drains our systems. But like we do stop it, you know, uh, you know, above maybe a thousand. But in reality, for our size and what we need to do in managing all these portfolios, it really needs to be almost inside the top 30, like maybe in the top 50, because we got to not only when we look to put the position on, we map out our exit and we map out our exit size and we have to map out liquidity at that size as well. And so as much as we'd like to get behind something that's got, you know, a new team inside two years, it's really looks like it's going to be beneficial and have some substance. And, uh, you know, there may be, you know, some good momentum building behind it. We just can't touch it just from a, a pure size position in the way it goes. So, um, yeah, mostly inside the top 50, um, is the way we look at this stuff. Awesome. So then can you explain for the average person watching this that doesn't really understand how they can have <clears throat> cryptocurrency in a 401k right now and how they could work with you um, before any of these ETFs are approved. Yep. Okay. So there's, we got, we got to split qualified tax advantage accounts into two buckets. So one of them is an, is an IRA and one of them is a 401k. An IRA is set up by the individual. The 401k is set up actually by the company that they work for and they get to participate inside of it. Okay. So from an IRA standpoint, we, we do both, by the way, from an IRA standpoint for the individual, they onboard with us as an individual. Um, we set up all the qualified accounts. We have a, a reporting agency, a third party that gets these out and, and qualifies them with the IRS, all the contributions, qualified transfers, rollovers, uh, backdoor uh, maneuvers that we might do. And then those assets sit in a qualified reporting account at the custodian Gemini who also understands what we're doing and how this goes. And so we've been doing that since existence. And the advantage to that one is yes, there is going to be a Bitcoin ETF. Now that's just Bitcoin alone. Again, in these IRAs, we're managing these and we are allocating away at times, not fully of the book. The book has a lot that stays in Bitcoin, but you know, we will tactically like in the past, we've tactically allocated to Ethereum. Uh, we did that in, the, in June of 2020 um, Ethereum was trading 200, 250 bucks a piece then. And then we sat in that for almost two years and capitalized on that return. And that, that allows us to get that alpha. So that's what you're getting in these accounts that we will still have edge in after the Bitcoin ETF goes, because you're only going to be able to get pure Bitcoin in that IRA. Um, and so we will, and, and I see this continuing because the, the, the ETF an ETF for other tokens and projects won't be instant the way that they're created, you know, as they are now, right? There's, there's going to be a massive lag if more are created even. And so that, that'll be our edge. And I see that continuing on for a really long time. The other thing is, is we can um, stake assets in an IRA. Okay. So like if we have some Ethereum in the book, we can put that out to stake. You get some yield. Now, when it comes to 401ks, our 401ks have at the most 10% in pure Bitcoin. 90% goes into mutual funds. We basically take a 60-40 stock bond traditional portfolio of Vanguard mutual funds. We reduce the fixed income side by 10%. That 10% goes into pure Bitcoin. That's at Gemini. Now, when the Bitcoin ETF uh, comes out, IRS uh, um, um, ERISA compliant plans and their administrators will not jump right into allowing the Bitcoin spot ETF to be in plans. There's a whole line of compliance and lawyers that are going to need to be talked to at every one of these individual retirement plans from Empower to PayPal 
BlackRock's going to have to have their wholesalers go on a roadshow and sell this and convince these guys that this could be an option. The other thing is most of these guys, they always get allocated to mutual funds, maybe some ETFs. Rarely does it go to a single asset, either stock or ETF. So when you, when you get a 401k, most plans, it's just a list of mutual funds or some ETFs that are baskets or indexes. Rarely do you get the option to like, hey, I want to own some Tesla. So thinking that like you're just going to get Bitcoin inside of it right away, that's coming. That's going to take these guys a full year, if not more, of visiting and, and doing the roadshow to get done. But that's a good thing for the space, right? So we're already in that. You're going to participate in that adoption by already being long the actual asset. And as it goes on and, and evolves and they do this roadshow, that builds a good steady buyer in spot Bitcoin because the ETF will have to build Bitcoin. Just out of curiosity, Brian, is this when we're talking about the offering, whether IRA or 401k, is this only for accredited investors? Or is this for anybody, like even retail people as well? We, we can have anybody for all of our products. Wow. Yep. Okay. And so the IRAs don't need to be accredited. Um, we do do a um, KYC AML. We do a new client profile. We do have to go over suitability. So we have to, to meet people. Um, and, and get to know who they are. And, and some people do want to put too much of their money into crypto and we have to walk them back. Um, and then for the 401ks for the companies, uh, that's company by company basis. And any of the participants, anybody that works at the company can participate in those. That's something we're really excited about. Like, I think like if, if there's something I can say, hey, like this is like the new wave. It's like the, the 401k with the option for Bitcoin has been great. I mean, we We've rebalanced a few times in this thing, and it's Bitcoin's been up this year since we started it. It goes over, it gets rebalanced in, um, but it's, it, it really improves the sharp ratio. Um, and so it's it's just something nice to have in there, and it's just not over risk. Like So it, participants actually don't have to pick one of our portfolios with Bitcoin. They could just get stocks and bonds, um, those mutual funds, or they could even do 1% or 5 doesn't have to be 10 And so they could, they could decide their own risk level, but it's capped at 10 and uh, we find that regulators, that's that's enough for now. All right. Sounds great. I'm actually, I'm going to be putting in a good word with our co-founders to see if we can get that 401k. Yeah. Our plan. Here's the thing. It's like <laughs> some, we have on the spectrum, we've got from a, a law firm that has their high earners in it to a construction company. But wow. crypto native companies have not gotten on board yet. And it, it, it blows my mind. I mean, I have such reach in the space, but uh, let's go. Somebody's got to step in first. And, and I imagine it'll be a really good press release when that comes out. Heck yeah. So follow up question in regards to staking. When it comes to dividends, my understanding is dividends that are paid into IRAs are not taxed um, right away until obviously somebody cashes out the right, depending on the IRA. Is it the same similar situation when it comes to staking rewards? And again, this is not tax advice for anyone that's listening yeah. to the question, but how are you all treating staking rewards? Like, are you cashing them out immediately and then just using the USD value? Or are you holding the native asset as they come? We're, out? we're holding the native asset. The staking rewards are paid in kind. The taxable event happens at time of distribution at 59 and a half. Now, if you're in a traditional IRA, your whatever tax bracket you're in and taking distributions will be on what amount you take out at that time. Now your account could have grown or not the methods of it growing as long as it's qualified investments it's okay on a Roth IRA which we call like God's gift to investing uh, the gains are not taxed in the account just like a trad but at time of retirement 
those are tax-free too, but there's a caveat. Not, not everybody qualifies for a Roth. Um, there's a cap on the contribution amount, right? You can't put $25,000 into a Roth, sub, sub seven grand going in. Um, most people that earn over certain thresholds and are married, let's say over 130K, can't contribute to a Roth. Um, the government just doesn't want like really well-to-do people avoiding more taxes. So people that are in these, you know, entry tier uh, income brackets can have a Roth, um, can contribute to it and can get long digital assets, have their assets staked, um, take all those earnings and gains in the account, pack those away at 59 and a half, start taking distributions tax-free. Yeah. I love my Roth for those reasons, especially because playing the market is leading up to the last Bitcoin run, buying options and everything else. And just knowing that I was going to take those gains tax-free was, was quite rewarding. I always thought that the staking rewards counted as income though. Like, cause I know when I personally paid my taxes, like anytime I got a staking reward, it, it was labeled as income and it was taxed that way. Is it just an advantage because you're inside the IRA or the 401k and that's why it doesn't happen? And so look, the, the income earning stuff from validating the network in the way that it goes, like that's where we see it's still capable. So yeah, it could be looked at as income in stocks, right? That's dividend yield, but digital assets are not securities, right? We got commodities on this side. And so you're participating in the, in the network and, and we're looking at a, um, a yield, an APY uh, into where it goes until told different. Awesome. Well, before we wrap everything up, is there any final thoughts that you have that you want the, the viewers to, to be aware of or any other questions? Yeah. And, and actually this ties us back to global stake and kind of looking at our long-term vision of managing our model portfolio and things that we go over in our investment management meetings is like, okay, you know, what can we do? And, and this comes back Ryan, to what you were saying about, you know, staking what this looks like in an IRA, but we also have all these, you know, brokerage taxable accounts, corporate accounts, and so we want to, for instance, in the future, sooner than later, um, be able to participate um, in stake, let's say Solana, right? And so, you know, we here in the financial building that we're in, you know, we don't, we don't have the internet speed that's capable to support the requirements of that. And so that's something we're looking at. And, and, I, and I think you guys, you know, this is where you guys come in and, and could maybe help me out and, and tell me what's on the roadmap and what can we ex- like maybe expect and, and look to see in the future and, and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's I amazing mean, for us. I can certainly give you a little bit of an overview in terms of just the, the aggressive expansion that we're about to experience. We're already running um, on the U S East coast in DC. We have uh, a, a brand new data center opening up in Phoenix. We have Amsterdam online. So, and we're looking now into place somewhere in Latin America and of course, what differentiates us from virtually every other provider is that whereas everybody's building in the cloud, we, you know, our co-founders are telecoms veterans. They knew that the infrastructure, you think about the build out in the late 90s, early 2000s, when all the fiber optic cable was being laid. Yeah. Because, I mean, you've read Flash Boys by, you know, yeah. it, it, so that's that's our game is we wanted to make sure that we were, you know, as compliant as possible for, we know there's regulatory clarity coming and we wanted to build out everything with our own fully owned servers on bare metal. That's optimized for web three. It's in SOC two compliant data centers, tier five right. you know, structure. So, I mean, we have the fastest speeds, the most power, and we're just continuing to build out. So, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you're going to find plenty of great options in the global stake offering in terms of what we can stake. So hopefully when it comes time and you guys are ready to move on Solana, we'll be right there and could be a great partnership. Yeah, it, it's interesting you bring up telecom, right? Because Solana, bringing up Solana, uh, you know, some of the founders there are ex-Qualcomm guys, 
right? And so that's uh, that's kind of interesting to hear how that that ties back and, and relates back to that world and where we're going here with with these digital assets and capabilities and you know transactions and smart contracts and how it's going to run in the future. Um, so yeah, uh, I'm looking forward to staying in touch with you guys on that stuff for sure. Awesome. Well, it's been a great conversation. Thanks so much for taking the yeah, time, really Brian. One. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Till next sure. time. Yeah. And for anybody that's listening that is very interested in following up with Brian, uh, please reach out to him on LinkedIn or go to their website, uh, www.daim.io. Uh, follow up with them. You will not regret it. Thanks Here's for the help. Yeah. Thanks, everybody.